Hi, good morning. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. I grew up, um, when I was born, is when they kind of became Christians and kind of came to the faith and believing in Christ and God. Um, and essentially, my parents kind of went from a very quiet tradition to a crazy tradition overnight. So they went from quiet to crazy pretty much overnight. And I was born into this. Um, and, and what I mean by crazy is just there was, it was a church that was very passionate, very loud, very vocal. We eventually went to a different church that we really got plugged into and um, really just was an amazing church to be a part of. And, and, and learn a lot and begin to grow and just at a young age really felt a call to be a pastor. Well, growing up, um, I, would, I remember hearing these messages um, from, from the front. People would talk about uh, the end of the age and, and the end of the world and uh, the rapture and all these different terms that maybe you're not familiar. If you're not, if you're not, um, uh, you've never been to church, these terms might not be familiar to you, but you still understand them because uh, in our culture, we have a lot of movies that talk about, you know, the, the end of the age. And uh, a while back, there was the, 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 the calendar, the Mexican calendar that they thought the end of the world is going to come in 2012. And we remember that, right? And so they're like, they're predicting it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Well, growing up, I used to hear these things. And as a pastor, I've never, ever taught on the end times or um, anything in that that kind of category, Part, partly because I don't want to be seen as a crazy person that gets up and says the end of the world is here, and people think like, man, you're crazy. And so, um, but I feel compelled to share with you that some of the words that some of the some of the um, well Jesus said, and some of the disciples, and and even Jesus' half brother, which we're going to talk about, said about how things will be when when the, when the end times is going to happen. And so we're going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks and. Uh, really, I've, I've never, even the book I'm, I'm sharing from, I've never even mentioned this book before, and, and we're going to kind of walk in it and, and talk through it for a little bit. Um, but anyway, so growing up, I would hear this a lot. And I remember growing up, like, I would hear pastors, they would, they would say, you know, um, Jesus could return at any moment, and are you ready? And, and sometimes it was really helpful. Other times it was kind of like it would freak you out. Like, what do you mean he's going to come back at any moment? And, I'm, and, and then they talk about how he's going to rescue the church from the world and take them away, called the rapture. And like, you mean people are just going to disappear? Like, this is crazy. And I remember growing up that I would hear these teachings and I hear these people talk about these things. And there's a part of me that was like, man, that's uh, how do you how do you balance this? Because the word Bible talks about it, but in a way that will be helpful. And so today I want to try to be helpful uh, through this as we talk through it. Let me let me give you a statistic. All right. This statistic affects 100 percent of us. All right. Every single one of us will be affected by the statistic. Here it is. 100 percent of us will die. Death is coming for all of us. And that might sound a little dark, but sometimes knowing the end helps because you understand there's, there's, there's pressure. There's, we have to be intentional about what we're doing. And the reason I say that is because um, when, when you're intentional with your life, you can accomplish things that are really amazing, really good. When you're not, one day death will come for you, and it will come for me. And, that, and we can see that as a bad thing, a scary thing. If you're not ready for it and not prepared for what's next, that can be really scary. And so hopefully today we can kind of walk through that and say, hey, you don't have to be scared. The Bible is full of a message of hope and, and of peace, and we want to communicate that in, in a way. And so today as I communicate, really the, the, um, the end times, uh, keep watch. We're going to go through this, the story Jesus told. But today I want to talk about not, don't stop believing. Uh, the book that we're going to read from, it, it's really a book written to Christians. And so if you're not a Christian today and you're maybe just a guest coming to visit and, and you've come like, man, I want some answers and um, we're getting into kind of a topic that's kind of heavy and you're thinking, man, this is kind of interesting or kind of scary or kind of weird, whatever. We'll address how this applies to you in a while. But as we kind of move forward, I'm, I'm really going to read from, from um, this book that just is talking to Christians. And he's saying, hey, this is what you have to be aware of and, and watch out for. 30% of the Bible is prophecy. And prophecy is, is a prediction of the, the future, something that's going to happen. Uh, a lot of these prophe- prophecies have come true and already been fulfilled. Some haven't yet. 
So 30%, you know, one-third of the Bible pretty much is all about future events and what's going to happen. Um, out of that, out of the, a good chunk, majority of those prophecies is about the end times, the end of the world. Um, some call it the apocalypse, things like that. There's all these different terms people kind of view. Movies in Hollywood talk about it and show it. Uh, kind of freaks people out. We don't want to be about paranoia. We don't want to be about, about fear-driven, um, trying to motivate you through fear. That's not our agenda. It's really to say, what does the Bible say about these things? How, how can we learn so we can be prepared and we can have hope in the middle of all that? The Bible is important. Know about prophecy. And there's, there's uh, a lot of people out there who teach some weird things. You got to be careful. So we want to try to walk through it. And that's one of the reasons I, I, I've never really taught this because I don't want to be one of those weird guys that kind of just goes off on a tangent and, and tries to freak people out. But I want to be helpful. Our church, we're, we're about being life-giving. I want to be able to help people through this journey. I feel compelled to, to share this. We're going to read through the book of Jude. The book of Jude is the smallest uh, book in the New Testament. Really small book. It's, it's like most, most books you have chapters and, and, and verses. The book, the Bible is broken up with a lot of different books. They're really more like, it's like one book with a lot of chapters, different names. But we call them books. So it's, a bo- it's a book of books. And so one of, the, one of the books is named Jude. It's right before Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. It really talks about the end times. And it's kind of uh, it leads up to Revelation. kind of kicks off that. And uh, Jude, Jude was, was a half-brother of Jesus. In fact, let's read the first one. Jude 1 verse of, of Jude says, this letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So he starts off, to, you know, telling who's writing, the, who's writing this letter to the, to the church. And he's saying this um, to, to Christians. He's saying, my name is Jude and I'm the brother of James. And so when he, when he refers to the brother of James, James was the leader of the Jewish, the, the church that was in Jerusalem. So he was the leader of this church. All right. We see in the story in Acts where there's this, this meeting and they ask these questions and James speaks up. Well, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had four, four half-brothers. So James is one of them. And Jude is saying, I'm the brother of James, who's half-brother of Jesus. So James and Jude are half-brothers of Jesus. I think that alone, so James is probably one of the greatest um, ways that we can say Jesus is who he says he is. Because when you have a brother, when you have somebody that grows up with you for 30 years, you know everything about that person. And so at first, James and them didn't believe. They, they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. They just, it was... Their brother. Uh, but after Jesus dies and comes back to life, and he, after what he predicts comes true, James and Jude both become Christians. And not just become Christians, they become leaders in the church. And not just leaders in the church, they actually willingly give their lives to take this message to the world. Like they believe in it so much, they're willing to say, I need to tell people about this. And even if you don't like it and you kill me, so be it. I'm still going to do this. And, and most of the apostles and disciples actually die because they believe, they, they, they make a stand for their faith where their life, it costs them their life. But they understand the power of the message is so important. They want to get it out to everybody. And so he starts off by saying, this is Jude, brother of, of James, um, uh, which I love is he's not trying to make it like, well, hey, I'm half brother of Jesus, by the way. He's not making this big claim. He's just saying, I'm, I'm Jude. This, I'm, I'm writing something to you. He says, I'm writing to all who've been called by, by God the Father. He's writing to Christians um, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus. Like God is, is, wants to keep us in relationship. They didn't believe at first, and then Jude and James became believers after Jesus' resurrection. James uh, writes this book, and the book of James is awesome. It's, it's a book about wisdom. It's a book about um, helping us to live a life that, is, that reflects that God has done something in us. And, and, and in fact, the book of James is, is the good works as evidence of our saving faith. We believe as a church, you can't, you can't get saved by doing things. Like, you can't work for salvation. That's not how the Bible works, and that's not how Jesus', Jesus message works. It's rather, faith is, uh, salvation comes by faith. Like, it's a belief that we have in God that leads to action. That's how we're saved. 
But the works and the deeds we do is a fruit of our salvation. It's, it's, a, it's a way, the evidence that we show that we've been saved. So if you're a Christian, you don't do good works because it's going to help you get to heaven. You do good works because you are saved and going to heaven. And it's a, a way that you show the world evidence of you, what you really believe. Well, Jude is a parallel book, but instead of writing about saving faith, he's actually writing about the evil work as evidence of apostasy. So he's showing us, James says, if you live this way, it's evidence of your faith at work. And then Jude writes and says, here is the evidence of people who don't believe in God. They're rebellious, the the ones that turned away, the ones that started believing, and then they they went away. And he mentions how the angels fell. He mentions different stories in the Bible throughout the book, um, referring to them, how they believed in God at one point, and then they turned their back and left. And so it's, it's known as, um, as uh, evil works as the evidence of apostasy. That's kind of Jude. Um, the beginning of the church age is known as the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is, is what they did. Or they went to different countries to start churches and to help people learn about, about God. That's, that's the beginning of the church age. Well, the end of the church age um, is called the Acts of the Apostates. Those that don't believe, that fallen away, that have turned their, their heart away from God, that don't believe in truth. Many of these people actually started believing and then rejected and, and, and walked away from God. As we walk through this, really Jude is a book written to us today. What I mean by that is many scholars believe that all, all the prophecies that have been building up and leading, they're happening around us. I remember, in fact, in, and I think it's 1948, I might get the date wrong, but I think it's 1948, Israel becomes a nation, which is a miracle the way it happens. It becomes a nation. Well, one of the prophecies is that the nation of Israel had to become a nation again. Because they were separated, they were spread out everywhere. And it happens, and then I, the, the people that were about prophecy and end times, like they really freaked out because they're like, oh my God, it's happening. The Bible says it's happening, it's happening. So 1948 had this big you know, surge of crazy, all right? Of people saying, it's here, it's going to end. And, and what happens when you tell everybody it's going to end and then it doesn't end, you're like, oh, it's a letdown. And then somebody wrote a book in 1888 saying, 88 reason why Jesus is going to come back this year and build it up, and then no, but nothing happens. And then 1994, somebody writes a book, why it's going to be 94 reasons Jesus come back, and then it doesn't happen. And then two, that Y2K, remember 2000, everybody starts freaking out, like this is the end of the world, like it's going to And then it's like a big buildup, and then oh, nothing happened. And part of that can frustrate us or make us maybe laugh or, you know, whatever, because it's a buildup and it doesn't happen. Um, and it kind of makes us think, well, it's never going to happen. It hasn't happened. They said it then. And it can get us in a place where we're comfortable and we just aren't ever uh, aware. And so we're going to talk a little about that in just a little bit. He goes on and continues. Verse 2 says, may God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. If you're familiar with the writers of the New Testament, they're always saying grace and peace to you. And in here he's saying mercy and peace. It's just a little change. Grace is uh, something that we that we get we, that we receive that we don't deserve. Well, mercy is getting some not getting something that we do deserve. And a big part of his message is saying God is holding back. He's 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 trying to love you. He's trying to get people to come to know Him. Man, would you would you would you uh, let mercy and peace and love be there? So he goes on, dear friends. He said, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share. He's telling the people that he's writing to, like, I was going to write this nice book about salvation. And sounds like it'd probably be a really good feel-good book and, and helpful when it comes to our faith. And he says, but I was compelled to do something different. And, like, he started this path of, of wanting to communicate this one message. And, and he says the Holy Spirit kind of changed his mind and says, no, you need to write about this. And this is one of the reasons the book of Jude is so important. Because it, it's, it's, God is, is speaking through Jude, the book of Jude, to help the church, what I should believe today, um, us, how, how to be aware of what's happening all around us. And he says, but I, f- I find I must write you about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and all to all his holy people. So he's saying, I'm compelled to tell you that you must contend for the faith or defend the faith. 
Like he's saying Christians, like you've become a Christian, well, now you have to be able to contend for the faith. You need to be able to defend and stand for the faith. See, we have a lot of people that this last year have have come to Christ. Some of you are brand new Christians. Like this last year, you made a commitment to say, I want to follow Christ. I believe he's the son of God. I want to do it. Well, he's writing to you. He's writing to me saying, as Christians, you have to get to a place where you can defend, you can talk about it. Well, the only way you can really do that is if you understand the faith and you've taken it and, and personalized it and you begin to walk in that faith. And faith is kind of like a muscle that grows. The more you practice it, the more, more it happens. All right? uh, it, it's, it's, it's faith. I just took a class at the Old Testament survey, actually yesterday, and in, in this class that I was taking about the Old Testament, they asked this question that we're supposed to find in this book. And this is the question. It says, what is considered one of the most important verses in the Bible and why? And I thought, this is a trick question, all right? So you're telling me the Bible is inspired. These are the words of God that he's given to us. And you're saying what is considered the most important? Like, I know the answer. They're all important, right? And it's a trick question. And, and then they said, no, there's really an answer we're trying to get to. And this is what they found. Uh, this, is, this is the answer that we came to. Genesis 15.6 says this, that Abraham or Abram believed the Lord. Later, God changed the name to Abraham, father of our faith. It says, Abraham believed the Lord. And they consider this one of the most important verses in the Bible because it's foundation for the kind of relationship God wants with us. Because it said that the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed God. This is the kind of faith that God is seeking from all of us. He wants us to believe what he says and then follow him in that action. See, there's, there's a big difference between believe and faith. All right? it's, it's kind of subtle, but it's, it's really big. Andy, stand up for me for a second. Come right here. Andy, Andy is a strong guy. He our, our, you know, plays electric guitar. Doesn't he do an awesome job on the guitar? Yeah. So Andy, I believe... He could catch me if I ran and jumped into his arms. You believe that? I believe it. So I'm not going to do that. It's kind of weird. But if, if he stood behind me and I said, all right, Andy, I'm going to trust do this trust fall, right? In fact, I'm going to stand up on this and do the trust fall. And I believe he would catch me if I just fell back right now. I believe. Do, do you guys believe he would? All right. So even though I believe he will, I really don't have faith. My faith is not true faith until I actually act and do it. I believe he could catch me, but until I actually fall, my faith is it's not faith. It's just a belief. Many of us have a belief. That's all I need. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming up. Many of us have a belief about God or a belief about something, but we have no faith because we've never acted upon that belief. Jude is saying you have to contend for the faith. You have to be there's It's a mysterious thing. There's this element that you can't explain, and God wants it that way. Like if we were able to explain every single thing exactly the way it happened, it wouldn't require faith. And he's saying there's an element where you have to trust. See, if it, in marriage, there's a lot of faith that I have to have with sincerity when it comes to life. I, there's a lot of trust. I just believe it's going to happen that way. And then I, I act on those beliefs, and, and it becomes a faith in my wife. And our relationship grows. Well, God is the same way. He's saying, I want you to believe what I'm saying and then act upon it and do these things. Or in some cases, don't do these things because they're going to lead to something bad. Rather, do what I'm asking you to do. And this is what Jude is saying. He says you have to contend uh, for the faith. This is the kind of faith God is seeking us. The same way Abraham believed God because he spoke, God wants us to believe him and then act upon it. See, God says, I'm going to bless you so you can bless the nations. I'm going to do something through you, Abraham. And Abraham said, okay, I believe you. What do you want me to do? He says, well, I want you to leave the comfortable 
country. I want you to go to this unknown country. I'm going to lead you down. And it says Abraham believed God and acted. And then God blessed him. This cool story. Jude continues on. It says Jude 4 says, I see that because some ungodly people have wormed their way into into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. So he's saying this is the point of why I'm writing. This is why God has put on my heart to write this book to you because there's people that are going to start telling you things that aren't true. There's going to be people that are going to try to convince you opposite of what my word says and then try to make it okay because, well, I'm a Christian and I can still do all this stuff and I go to church, so I'm okay. And he's saying you have to be careful because you're going to miss out and and you're going to treat God's grace to allow you to live an immoral life, which is really opposite of, of what God wants. He says, I want you to be aware of that. The condemnation of such people as record long ago, for they, they have denied our only master, Lord Jesus Christ. He finished that, that, that idea by saying, So I want to remind you, though, um, remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. So he's saying, it's kind of like God has saved you as Christians. Like you, you've accepted the message and you become a Christian. But then there's people that kind of turn away and start walking a different path and, and, and reject the truth. That's what he's writing. He's saying, I don't want you to be that people that reject. I want you to keep, pay attention. I want you to be aware of this. Throughout the Bible, he's talking about the rebellion that the people of Israel had. Like their hearts became hard to God. He rescued them, did these cool miracles, saved them, and their hearts become hard to God and they rebel. And, and, and it, they, they don't have the best story because their hearts were turned against God. And there's this theme in the Bible where God is saying, don't let rebellion come into your hearts. Don't let your life be full of rebellion, but be full of trust and faith. When we teach these things in the church, when we teach any kind of teaching, one of the reasons we teach is because Jesus taught it. Um, in Matthew 25 and 20, 26, I would encourage you to, write, uh, to read these, these, um, these verses. Um, Jesus talks about the end of the age. In fact, that's like the subtitle for the chapter is the end of the age. What's going to happen? And he goes on and he, and he talks about um, how it's going to look and, and what's going to take place. Um, I'm, I'm just skip skim through a couple of little verses real quick. Matthew 25 and 26. It's the first book of the, of, the gospel, of the New Testament, of the Gospels. I put 25, 26, actually 24 and 25. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Christ. There's going to be all these false teachers that are going to try to get you to, to listen to all these different way, things that are happening. He says, there are going to be nations that rise against nations, there going to be wars. All these things are beginning in the birth pains. You'll be handed over, be persecuted. You know, growing up, as, as a, we were kind of recognized as a Christian nation. And as a kid, I never imagined Christians being persecuted in the United States. Well, recently, people have died, you know, at the end of a barrel because they were Christians. Um, up, up, up north, which is one of the community colleges, that's how the guy was deciding how to kill people. Are you a Christian? He would, he would kill them right there. If they weren't, he would just wound them. But if they were Christian, he would take them out right there and, and, and say something about them going to meet Jesus right now. Horrible. Because they were Christians. He talks about how this, this, could, this could play out in the end times that Jesus is saying you're going to be persecuted. Things are going to happen. There will be an increase of wickedness. Th- that the love of most will grow cold. And he goes on to say there's going to be this, you know, a lot of even Christians who are following Christ, a lot of them are going to fall away and, and, and reject and turn away from God. And he begins to say this is kind of the signs of the end of the age. And he begins to go on and talk about more things that we can kind of um, understand, like uh, to, to be aware of what, what it's going to look like. Um, and he goes on to talk about these things. Eventually he says the Son of Man will appear in the sky. He, he talks about the second coming of Jesus. And so he's going to come back at some point. Uh, we call it the imminent return of Christ. It's kind of this idea that it could happen at any moment. It's imminent. like it, 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 We don't know when, but it can happen. 
and his whole story that he begins to talk about at the end of the ages, he's going to come back and rescue. He's going to come back and establish his kingdom. He will come back, and it's going to happen. We just don't know when. And so he goes in and tells this story. As he talks about the, un, the, day that, the, the day and the hour will be unknown, he says there's a story about these, these ten virgins. He tells a story, a parable, and he says there's these ten that are going to get married, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And it's night, and they have their lamps, and they're, kind of, they're trying to be ready. And it says that, that there was five that were wise, and there was five that were foolish. The foolish ones weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They didn't prepare their oil. They, they didn't prepare their life to receive and, and be ready to receive to, to get married. And he says that, that the, 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 somebody said, hey, the bridegroom is coming. He's getting close. And all of a sudden, the ones that didn't have the oil are running out. They said, hey, can we borrow from you, the wise ones? And they said, well, if we lend you, we might run out also. And then none of us will do it. So they said, just go buy some and take care of it. And as they leave to the store to go buy some oil, the parable says, the, 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 the bridegroom comes and takes away the five that were wise. And the five that are, were foolish get left behind. And they come and they say, hey, we're, we're here now, we're here now. And, and the, the bridegroom says, I don't know who you are. Like you rejected, you weren't ready, you weren't prepared. And this is how he ends the story in, in, in that parable. He says in Matthew twenty five thirteen, therefore keep watch, therefore keep watch, because you do not the out the day or the hour when I will return. So we believe that there will be an end of all this because Jesus said there will be. Like he's our, he's our, our model, he's our teacher, he's our rabbi, he's the one that we're learning from. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Keep watch, because you don't know when it will happen. Live in such a way that if he came back today, you'd be ready to receive him. You choose to live a godly life. In fact, the Bible, is, most of what he's writing is trying to teach us how to live right, to, to have a, a, a right way of living, that we have this faith in God that we follow through and do his way. So Second Timothy, uh, Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy, and he says, talking about the end of the age, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, it will be very difficult times. Would anybody agree that we're living in difficult times? We're on a, there, there, there's some things in our world that if they just shifted a little bit, it, would, it can really be uh, detrimental to the economy, to the U.S. economy. I mean, there's, there's predictions that we can have another collapse of our economy, Right. There's those things saying it's, it's there. Like, man, you have to be wise and be ready for some of that stuff. And we're living in a time that's very difficult, especially as, as Christians. We've never lived in a time, especially in the United States, where there's been more oppression against people, people of, of the Christian faith. Like, we are like looked at as the enemy and hated and you know, all the stuff that is happening. And it's part of what he says. It's going to be difficult times. And he goes on to list of uh, characteristics of the people, how they will be in the last days. All right, so he says in the last days it will be very difficult. And he says this is how people are going to act, how people are going to live. As I read through this list, maybe just ask the question, um, could we be living in the, last, in the end times? He says people, they will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will have a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to, have nothing to do with such people. So he's saying that there's going to be a lot of people who put on the front, like I go to church, I dress up nice, I look good, and they're going to have a, a, a form of godliness 
But they'll be denying the power because they're not actually living out what God wants us to live out. In the end days, there'll be a lot of people who put on a show. They'll act religious, but they have no, no, the power of God is missing. They are the kind who worm their way. This is interesting. Jude, remember the kind of guys that people worm their way in? Paul says, they'll be the kind that worm their way into the homes and gain control over global women. Jude says they'll worm their way into the church. Paul's saying they're going to worm their way into, into, into people's homes and gain control of global women who are loaded down with, with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Um, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. There'll be people who have just tons of knowledge and are always learning, but they just don't accept the truth that God has for them. He goes on and, and, and he stops there. So he goes on to say there'll be teachers who, who oppress the truth, uh, just as um, two people opposed Moses in the Old Testament. Um, and, and someday they'll be recognized as the fools as they are. See, as a Christian, I remember in high school, I would tell people about what I believed, and I kind of seemed like the foolish person at times. Like, you're, you're what? That's, that's kind of crazy. But now looking back at my life and the choices I made and, and opposed to some of the choices my friends made, I'm no longer the foolish person, but rather some of my friends that made those, those really dumb choices, they're the fool and I'm the wise. That makes sense because of that. And so as Christians, there's times our world's going to look at us and think, you guys are crazy, you guys are foolish. But can I tell you, when Jesus returns, we're no longer going to look like the foolish ones because we'll be ready. And that's the whole point of his story and what these guys are saying is um, be ready, keep watch, be alert, be aware. Because there's going to be an hour and a time where God comes back to judge and comes back to, to rescue us, rescue his church, his people. Be ready for that day. Don't miss it. See, First Thessalonians, one more book we'll talk about. We'll read it. It kind of talks about the, the, what's going to happen in the end. First Thessalonians 4:13 it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who, who are dead so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. From, from, we have Thanksgiving coming up pretty soon. From, from Thanksgiving through the end of the year, there will be more suicides in that time frame than the whole year combined. What that tells us is there's, um, there's a lack of hope. Um, there, in, in our culture, in our, in, our, in our world, people lack hope. Like they, they can't see a better future down the road. They're missing something. And in this, this time period, it really, it's, it's a season of generosity. It's a season where we can love others. Um, it reminds us of what's most important. But there's a lot of people that don't have hope. And in this verse, in Thessalonians, he's saying, um, we don't want you to grieve. We're going to tell you these things, what's going to happen, so you don't grieve, but that you can have hope. Because there's going to be people that don't have hope. You know, I mentioned in the beginning that 100% of us will die. For some people, that could be a really scary, scary thing because they don't know what's next. Well, if you don't know what's next, you don't have peace, you don't have uh, assurance of, of, of after this, you don't have hope. And that's not what God wants you to have. He wants you to, to have a peace and wants you to have a hope. And that's what we're all about. As a church, we want to help people say, you can trust what Jesus said. You can trust him for salvation. You can trust him for what's next. This life is short and it's just a test. And it's just an opportunity for us to, to, to join God in his, in his plan and his work, his redemption. Or... We can live it for ourselves, live it up for this short period of time, and then reject God and miss out on what he has for us now and in eternity. So he goes on to say in Thessalonians, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have, who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Like those who have died, Jesus is going to bring them with him when he returns. And, it, and he goes on to say, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that uh, we who are still alive, like the Christians that are still alive, uh, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not certainly precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven 
And with a loud command, with the trumpet of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So this, this is the, one of the, the things we believe is the rapture. It's, it's, our, it's a hope that we have, the blessed hope they call it, that God is going to come and rescue his people, his church. We believe before it really gets bad, that's when it's going to take place, that's going to happen. And the ones that had died before us that are Christians, they're going to join with him. And then us that are alive, we're going to join in. And I remember hearing about this, like, that's kind of crazy. So you're saying people are just going to disappear? Like Christians, you're going to disappear? That, that's really weird. Well, Jesus talked about this. In the end, he's going to come back. He told, he, in fact, he said, he, in one of the, the stories, he said, there'll be two people in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. There'll be two women who are cooking. One's going to be taken, one's going to be left. And his whole point is, says, be the ones that are going to be taken. Be the ones that are ready for God's return. Be the ones that are ready for the kingdom of God when it shows up. Don't be caught just focused on yourself. Don't be the, the list of people we just read. Don't be those people. You know, slanderers. Um, in, our, in our culture, it's easy to, 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 to say things about people to make them look bad. And that's, that's all around us. Not long ago, uh, authority figures, leaders, presidents, and they, they, had, they, they held, held an office of respect where there was a president, I wish I remember who it was, he was sick, and during the time he was sick, they wouldn't allow the people to take pictures of him when he didn't look like he was strong. In fact, they would wait and stage pictures where he looked like he was really strong and doing well because they had respect for him. They didn't want to slander and make him look weak. They wanted to, to, to respect his, his office. Well, now, man, anybody that's in office, you've got to be careful because they're, they're digging for the, the, the worst things in your life to slander and to bring you down and make you look, look like the worst. That's part of our culture. Don't be those people that are so in love with just themselves and money. And this is how he ends it. In First Thessalonians, Paul ends it like this. He says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Knowing how it's going to all play out is very encouraging for us because we can have hope and we can have peace. This is not a fear-driven message, but a, a, a message of hope, saying you can have peace knowing that even if the whole world man, falls apart tomorrow, we have a God that loves us and cares for us and has a plan in the middle of this. God might return if it falls apart. He might, he, it might be still some more time before that. But he says, be prepared, be ready. And he says, be encouraged. Be, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Like knowing what's going to happen is actually for us to have hope and to have, have courage and strength. It, it strengthens our faith when we believe and say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you for this. I'm, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. and I'm going, I'm going to follow you in this. It's not about fear, but about peace. He says, in fact, Jesus says, when, when you see all these things unfolding, in Matthew, I think it's 25, in the verse I was telling you about, the chapter you're talking about, he says, when you see these things beginning to unfold, don't look down in discouragement like, oh man, the world's getting really bad, this is discouraging. He says, rather, when you see these things, look up. Like, you have hope, knowing that God's going to come back and put things to right. He's going to come, he's going to fix, he's going to come and rescue and we have a short period of time where we have the, the choice to be able to choose the kingdom of God or choose ourselves and what we can do here on earth. Would you choose the kingdom of God? Since you might ask, well, what does that mean then? Do we like stockpile stuff in case things get really bad? No. You continue to live in, a, in such a way that he might not come back for, um, how should I say this? You, you live in a way that you're ready if he comes back right now or tonight or tomorrow. Like your heart is right, you're doing the right things, you're, you're part of his kingdom, you're following him. Live that way where it could be at any moment. But then plan and prepare and, and work as if it's going to be 100 years still before he comes back. 
Because if you live that way, you're not paranoid. See, because paranoia, it, spiritually paranoia is just as bad as mental paranoia. If you're paranoid, mentally it's going to make you tired, it's going to make you sick. Because we're not made to, to worry about stuff. In fact, worrying is a sin. Like if you worry about all this stuff, you're actually not trusting God to take care of those things for you. And that's a sin because you're not trusting God and believing that he can help you through this. Paranoia is the same thing. You're creating something bigger than it really is. And that's not the point of this message at all. It rather is to say, would you be able to live just trusting God in faith, saying, God, if you even came back tomorrow, I'm ready. If you came back today, I'm ready. And then helping as many people as possible understand, man, that this life is short. And we all will stand before God at one point. Here's the point where I message where I get to. Well, let me, let me do this challenge and then... Um, no, let me, this is a good point. This is the point of the message where I, I want to address those that maybe you're not Christians here. And you kind of heard me talk to Christians about what, what Jude is telling us and what Paul and what Jesus is telling us about, about how things will look in the end. If you're here today and maybe you, um, you don't understand all that, you don't really know what I'm talking about, um, here's where you fit in on this, all right? Because you're here today, I believe that God is trying to get your attention to say, would you become part of my family? I believe that. You walked in this room, you didn't believe, or you don't believe, or you're just visiting or checking it out. You came because I believe God is trying to get your attention to say, hey, would you join my family? I'm not saying join this church. I'm saying join the family of God, the kingdom of God. He wants you to become a believer. So there's an element in, throughout the Bible that, that, that we talk about faith. Abraham trusted and believed God. God is now reaching out and saying, would you believe me? I have a better future for me if you would just trust me. Future here on earth? but also a future in heaven one day. You can be a part of my kingdom. You can choose it or not. The choice is yours. And that's where you fit in. See, as, as Christians, our heart is to try to help as many people understand that there um, is a choice that we make on earth that will affect our eternity. Like living on earth is not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. What comes after? The Bible says that we'll, it, it, all of us have a, a moment where we're all going to die. And we'll stand before God and give an account for our lives. It's called the judgment, where we stand and God's say, all right, so tell me about this. Did you trust me or did you not? And we'll all stand before God and give an account for our lives. So if you're not a Christian, can I invite you to be a part of the family? This message is not to drive fear and make you scared, but rather to say God has a good plans. He wants to help us. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to do that. Like as Christians, like what God is, 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 is giving, what tools has he given us to be able to, to contend for the faith? Like when people um, ask us why we believe, man, we should have an answer why we believe. Well, how do we get to that place? Those are going to take some, some things that we need to do. So this is my challenge. My first step for this, for this series is this. Um, would you strengthen your faith? If you're going to contend for the faith, your faith needs to be strong. So how do you strengthen it? Coming to church is a great way, but it's not the only way. It's important. Reading your Bible. Uh, when I got to the book of Jude, I, I don't know if I, I've read it before, but I just never paid attention to it. And when, when we began to prepare for this, for this little couple messages this next couple weeks, man, I, I thought the book of Jude is incredible. It's like this short little book that just has a ton of things packed into it um, that, that God is trying to, 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 to upload to us and help us to understand uh, really the end, the end of the age but also how to, how, to, how to be able to contend for the faith, how to be able to stand strong in our belief, in our faith. Because as, as our world changes, man, people aren't, they, they, they're not going to like us as Christians and what we believe. But we need to be able to stand strong and say, I want to I do this. So you strengthen your faith. Coming to church is good. Reading your Bible. Man, the, the Word of God, it's an amazing book that is to help us, to encourage us. 
Um, when we read the Bible, something happens in our minds. It, it says that the, the Word of God renews our way we think. Like it's, it's, it compares it to water that washes something dirty. Like it washes our mind of, of ideas that have been hurtful, and it gives us new ideas and better ideas. It's an amazing book, inspired. It's, it's not just a book. It's a, it's a book of books written over a span of thousands of years of different authors, all telling the same story. That's pretty amazing. It's a gift God gave us that says, hey, I want to help you on this journey. And praying, uh, reading your Bible, stepping out in faith, uh, the way we, we um, respond when God asks us, that's how you strengthen your faith. So if God asks you to do one simple thing, man, when you do that, your faith will be strengthened. And God invites us into that. So you strengthen your faith by practicing, by doing it. Now, just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you come to a church, does not mean you're necessarily ready for, the, for God to return. He says there'll be people in the end that they'll deceive themselves. The end will deceive them. They'll think, well, you know, I prayed a prayer and I'm good. But they don't live in a way that pleases God. He says, don't be deceived. Like, man, there's, there's a right way to live. And when you live outside of that, you're in danger. And I think that's a, the, the point of all this is he's saying is, is keep watch. Be, be aware. Be aware because he's going to return one day. My heart is, today as I communicate this, that it would be something that gives you a hope and a, and a security and an assurance that even if the world gets really bad in the middle of that, God has a plan. Now we can trust him. Um, it's not necessarily if the world will get bad, it's when the world will get bad. The Bible is very clear on what's going to take place, how it's going to play out. If you want to learn more about that, I can give you some resources where you can go look uh, a couple of people that I trust that I think have, have bring a balance. One of the reasons I never taught on this is because I don't want to be unbalanced in my approach of saying it's this extreme or it's that extreme, but rather what is helpful for us to know. I think it's helpful for us to know that he will come back and we should be ready. And that's the point of Jesus' story. He's going to come back. We should be ready. So if you're here today, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're here and... As I speak about this, man, this kind of freaks you out because you don't know what would happen when you, st- when you stand before God. And I don't want you to leave this place being freaked out. I want you to be able to say, I have a hope and I have an assurance that I can stand before God and say, man, I accepted your son's sacrifice for my sin. I accepted your son, his atonement for my, my payment. He, he paid for my, my bill, my tab. He carried my debt. If you're here today, uh, maybe this is your first time coming. Maybe you've come many times. And I would love to lead you in a prayer that just says, God, I want to make things right with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in faith and believe that what you said is true. And in this week, I'm going to begin to live in such a way that proves that I really believe it because my action is tied to it. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I don't, I don't know what would happen if I died today. I don't know what would happen if Jesus came back. I'm not ready, but I want to be. I want to know. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I'd love to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to pray a prayer right there in your seat. Anybody else? Awesome. Cool. For you that raised your hand, I want to just leave you in a simple prayer. It's, a, it's essentially an invitation for relationship with God is what you're saying. God, I, wanna, I want you to be my friend. It says Abraham was a friend of God because he believed and trusted. But it wasn't just a belief where it goes in our mind. It was a belief through our action that says, now I'm going to live in such a way that pleases you. So this prayer is going to just say, essentially say, God, forgive me of 
my sin. Forgive me of my mistakes. And I invite you to lead me. Be my God. Be my Lord. So Jude said he's, he's a servant of, of Christ. It's a statement he's saying, I'm choosing to be letting God be the commander, letting God be the one that's in control. And that's what this prayer is, saying, God, I want to invite you into that. So if you raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? Uh, others that have, maybe you're a Christian, you pray this, would you pray with me to kind of encourage those that raise their hand? Just say, I say, Father God, today I admit that I need you. Forgive me of my sin, of my past. I want to be a part of your family. I want to trust you for my future, for my eternity, for tomorrow. Help me. I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe you're alive today, watching over me and helping me. Today I invite you into my life. Be in me. Fill me. Change my my thought process. Help me to become a new person in you. In your son's name, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.